0: Restaurant Unstoppable episode 568 with Nick
1: Giannis. And the more, the more that I, again, managed them to do their job better, I said, Hey, do you know that that order needs to be in? And oh, make sure that we go ahead and get this. My life got a lot easier, as did theirs. And then as did the entirety of the kitchen, the structure just came together. So it wasn't about like a top to bottom management. It wasn't I would go in and be like, Hey, you need to do this. You needed that. It was, it was a minor manipulation of the situation that I was in and that, that you will always be in because, you know, there's always going to be a boss, right? There's always going to be somebody above you most of the time. Even here, I'm, I'm, I'm the owner of this restaurant, but I have investors and I have people to answer to, whether it's a bank or it's you know a family friend that loans some money. But at the end of the day, I have to manage those expectations with them. And if I manage them in, in, in from the top to bottom, it, it makes everybody's life easier. It takes a lot of stress and things out of the situation that you're in most of the time.
0: Introducing Ethics Suite, the first and only misconduct, theft, and fraud reporting platform exclusively for the restaurant industry. Check out RestaurantEthics.com to see how restaurant employees can report any concerns anonymously, easily, and securely from any device with internet connection. However, if you're an owner or manager, you should check out EthicsSuite.com slash RestaurantUnstoppable for more information on how you can monitor and respond to these reports and stay informed about issues that could affect your business and your reputation. One more time, that's ethics dot com slash restaurants unstoppable. Cashflow, it's something every small business is worried about, and it's hard to know at any given moment how you're doing, and worse, it's virtually impossible to predict the future. Until now, welcome to CashflowTool.com, the ultimate companion for any small business using QuickBooks. CashflowTool.com gives you instant visibility on any device anywhere of your cashflow, and it also alerts for unexpected expenses. On top of all this, it analyzes your past finances and projects how much money your company will have tomorrow, next week, and next month. Go to www. cashflow tool.com slash unstoppable and enter promotional code unstoppable at checkout and receive pro features at the essential features price. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Chef Nick Giannis. Chef, my man, are you feeling unstoppable today?
1: 100%
0: unstoppable. (laughs) Yes, that's what we like to hear, my man. So originating from Cypress, Texas, Chef Nick Giannis kicked off his hospitality career working front of house while in high school. It wasn't until college when the transition to back of house was made. Giannis went on to study uh, culinary arts at the Western Culinary Institute between 2004 and 2011. Giannis bounced between Dallas, Texas, and Portland, Oregon fine-tuning his craft. In 2012, Giannis found himself in Austin, Texas, taking on the role of chef at Uchi. Eventually, he would earn the title of creative director, and in 2015, Giannis broke off and opened his own restaurant, Juniper, which has been landing on the city's best of since the beginning, and you're just crushing it. Man, I can't wait. Your name's actually come up a few times interviewing other chefs and restaurateurs in the city, so I know I'm sitting in good presence right now. I can't wait to dive into your story. But Let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quarter mantra. What do you got for us?
1: So it's not really a mantra or a success quote or any of that nature. What it really dials down to is um, we talk about respect a lot—respect mm. um, for each other, respect for the kitchen, respect for the ingredients, respect for the guests coming in. Um, it's really—it's that's an important, you know pillar of what we want to do daily in this building. Yeah, and in my research I I found
0: uh, an article that you were a part of, I think maybe it was Chef's Feed or something like that, that you did a piece on why you've been able to retain your employees so well Mm -hmm. that you have, and I'm sure that will be something that we dive into when we get two more current time talking about your time at juniper but man this is going to be a good interview i know you Uh, just be ready for this if you're listening all right so take us to where it all started for you man when did you know that like this was going to be your path
1: well you know it's a it's a it's an odd thing how i even got into the kitchen you know i was while i was in high school i was a waiter a server a busboy, a host at a, a joe's crab shack which my brother and my sister worked at and made some side money and okay you know it was good money and it was fun Um, and then when I graduated high school, I moved to San Marcos and I was going to school there, um, trying to pay rent and whatnot. And I needed a job. And at that time, the restaurant that I was going to apply to, uh, was called Palmer's. Um, anybody locally listening or from San Marcos probably knows that restaurant, but I went in to get a bartending position and they didn't have one, but they said they needed a cook. And. Oddly enough, a uh, food network was uh, kind of popping off then and yep. you know I was watching a lot of that and hanging out and I was like, yeah, I can cook some stuff. And they gave me a chance and you know, really about 3 months later they had, were offering me a sous chef position in wow. there. And I'd worked there for about a year and the owner had come to me and asked me if he if I wanted to stay at Palmer's long term and maybe become the chef there. O- only about after 8 months and he was going to send me to the Texas Culinary Academy, a culinary school. We would pay for it and whatnot. Um, and that really got my, my, my mind thinking about, man, maybe there really is something here. I really like it. This is really great. And, you know, I decided on my own accord to move out of San Marcos because. Um, I was a young kid. I think I was 20 at the time, and I was drinking and partying and hanging out and spending all my money, could barely pay rent. My car was going to get repoed. All I did was work and hang out, and I stopped going to regular school. I wasn't making my classes. I, you know, Then I tried to enroll in ACC. That wasn't working. Um, but I ended up moving to Portland, Oregon, going to uh, Western Culinary Institute up there on my own dime, checking it out. So let's, and, let's tap
0: on the brakes a little bit. Okay. I'm curious. Um, you had this opportunity to have this gentleman pay for it all. Why did you turn away from that? Why did you choose to go up to portland oregon and and do it on your
1: own yeah i just felt like it was a moment in time that i had to take this seriously or something seriously and if i didn't move out of the environment that i was in i was probably gonna fuck that up too and it was one of those moments in my life that i think is a real turning point point of what i did because i was able to move up to portland get a sous chef job at a restaurant an italian restaurant um, making decent money while going to school, so I go to school at 6 a.m. five days a week. Get off at noon, take a nap in my car between noon and two, and then go into work and work until midnight, Oof. and do the whole thing every day. You um, do that when you're young, <laughs> exactly. You know what I'm saying? And and it was and it was a real special, it was a real special like 14 months while I was up there the first time because I was working, I was learning in the working environment, I was also going to school and learning, and I was just so thirsty for the knowledge that I was receiving because I hadn't been cooking for that long. When I went to school, but yeah. I had enough experience, and I was in the real time field of being a sous chef and being able to apply what I was learning at school in the kitchen and in the kitchen, going to school and showing you know some of my teachers and some of the other students what I was doing and learning, and it was it was a real it was a real back and forth, which was real real important to where really I am today. Yeah, and
0: I, I think this podcast is not just being about business advice, but also about life advice, and it sounds like. Uh, you saw yourself going in a direction on a path in in Texas that wasn't good for you or is that am i am i picking that up right yeah, or? yeah yeah I mean it was
1: just I I knew again as I said I wasn't I couldn't pay any bills I was making you know 12 bucks an hour as a sous chef at Palmer's and I was living with three people and I just couldn't get my act together. You know what I mean? Every night was about cool. I made, I worked 10 hours today. I spent 50 bucks at the bar. I can't even buy a sandwich. <laughs> you know what so I mean? So do you
0: think that it was, you needed to remove yourself from the influence to, to, to get on a right path? Were you, were you, and not to speak poorly about anybody that you might have been around that time, but did you feel like you needed to change the scene to change your your uh, outcome, to change the potential and where you're headed?
1: Yeah, ex- I mean, you, that's exactly right. I think okay. that at the end of the day, you know, sometimes you can, you can mentally or physically make that change, but sometimes it's good just to remove yourself from that environment. Mm. And I didn't know at the time, you know, subconsciously that I was making that decision, but I did know consciously that I was like, I need to go and do this. I've got to... Because I moved up to Portland not knowing anybody. I had an uncle that lived out in Beaverton, and I was living more or less downtown. Yeah, And it was... Really, the point was is that I went out there not knowing anybody. I wanted to only go to school. I didn't want to have any outside influences. I wanted to focus on what I was trying to do, and this allowed me. Basically, I put myself on an island to get my my shit together. Yeah. The cool thing about what you're sharing with us is, you know, it starts
0: off you're you kind of you grow up, you, you make your friends, uh, you're in a situation, and you kind of get stuck to that situation unless you just completely pick up and move, and then you you go out someplace where you don't know anybody. You get to choose who you surround yourself with, choose what you do every day, and get into a new routine. Right, that
1: will really kind of fast track you. 100%. Is that what you were thinking? Yeah, and that I mean, and not that it, not, uh, fast track is a um, I don't say it's a negative connotation, but you know what I mean. It put me on the right path that there was less obstacles in the way. Yes, if that makes yeah, uh, a little bit clear. This is why sense. I want to spend more time here because it's a huge life, life yeah. lesson
0: to go to put yourself in s- situations that are going to make you more successful. To being just mindful of what's going on around you and knowing if it's going to hold you back or, or move you forward. And you got you made that call, so you went out to Portland, Oregon. You said you're you're hustling, you're 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 going to school. You're working at night. Any big mentors? Any big lessons during this time of your life? Or should we move on to?
1: No, the I mean, time? you know, as as we as we can as 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 the story keeps unfolding, right? You know, each each block and each moment in time and what it is, there, there are different mentors and there's different people that come along, not just from a cooking perspective, but from a from an emotional perspective or from a, a, a spiritual perspective. Mm. It, it, it you de- you never know when that kind of iron is going to strike, and I think at that time when I was going to school, there was a few, there was a few teachers and, and instructors that were, you know, that kind of, you know, kind of latched onto me and kind of who I was. Um, there was a, there was a guy named John Mesner who was actually my front of the house boss. He's the guy that hired me to be a sous chef at this restaurant. And we're still good friends today. He's moved to, we lived together on my second trip to Portland and you know, my, my, my mother's stint there. And, um, he's just, he's one of those people that really kind of taught me a lot. He's in the wine business. Um, in now but he was a front of the house manager and he really kinda of helped me start to shape who I was as kinda of not only a boss but a manager while I was going to school. And he was he was a he was a he ended up as at my at at the end of my fourteen months, fifteen months while I was in Portland, um, becoming a good friend of mine.
0: So this is before you came back to Texas and working in the Dallas Fort Worth area, you had this mentor, uh what was it specifically about him or about the lessons give me some some specific nuggets that he taught you some uh values he gave you
1: yeah i mean you know uh, it's just it's a real hard thing to you know to put one thing on there you know as you go through i mean i was 20 years old at the time and you know I, he was opening a restaurant and i just saw him show up to work on time every day i sh- saw him you know in in his in his pressed you know what i mean Suit and pants, and and he was always looking nice, and he was always looking fresh. But he could also go out at night, and he he basically conducted his own business in his own way. But really, what it was at the end of the day is that he was he was a young guy. He was you know what I mean. He wasn't much older than me, and he was managing you know thirty people at the time, and it was it was impressive to see. And when I, when I saw that, because. In the past, all my other managers were, you know, 40 plus and, you know, just into that, in that age, right? Where that's what was going on. And this was, this was a young, this was a young kid. I mean, he was 23 years old. I was 20. I think he's three years older than me. He might be only be two years older than me, to be honest with you. But, um, it was, it was impressive to see that he could, he could command a room. He could command a pre-shift. He could run meetings. He could, he could, he could reprimand and he could praise and all of this at such a young age. It was, it was, it was impressive and, and it really put a stamp on, me saying, okay, well, if he can do this, I can do this. So you're 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 painting the picture that he was
0: able to do it, that he was doing it. But how was he doing it? Why? What was it about his approach, his technique?
1: It, knowing what you know now, that you think was so effective. I, I think it was just a confidence factor. I think he just he just knew he knew what he was doing. And yeah. when you know what you're doing and you have confidence about it, you know there's you can feel that. You yeah. know you can feel that. We from can a read between the lines. We exactly. know
0: when is scrambling. We know when somebody knows exactly what they're doing. Yeah. Got you. Awesome. Um, so let's move it to, you're, you're now uh, back in Fort Worth, Dallas area. You moved back, home, not home, but to Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, what brought you back? How did you know that you were, why did you know you were coming back?
1: Well, um, so I was in Portland and I was doing that thing and I went to culinary school and then I went to get my externship because um, that's kind of the, the in part of your culinary school. It's like six weeks of an externship. Um, I will make a caveat. I don't ever think I officially graduated from culinary school okay. because I did not finish my externship because of how it all played out. um so i just i just kept working so i moved to dallas basically what happened is i went to new york and i was trying to i had staged at la Den and um cafe gray was open at the time in the time warner building and um you know, we kinda I kinda bumped around there and I was gonna do my externship there, but something happened with my apartment, fell through. So I had to move back to I moved in with my brother who was living in Dallas at the time. Okay. Um and So was, your
0: apartment in, in New York. Though, fell through, gotcha.
1: yeah. Me and me and uh, one of my friends from culinary school put a deposit down, did all of our things and they basically took our money. Ugh. You know what I mean? As it Jesus. goes, right? The old Craigslist hustle is what oh, we got. Gosh. Um so you know, that was basically my last like two grand except for like going in and trying to make money and kinda doing that hustle. Um um, came back to Dallas, like I said, so I could move in with my brother, um, not have to pay rent, you know mm-hmm. how it goes, you know, everybody falls a little You're bit. You're still young, um, dude. Yeah. Yeah. I'm st- I'm 22. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm uh, 21 and a half, something of that nature, right? Yeah. My mind escapes me sometimes, but, um, moved back in with my brother in Dallas and, um, that's when I got a job at, um, at Nana. Um, and that was working with Anthony Bombachi um, in the Hilton Anatole, it was a huge restaurant. He had just come back from Barcelona. He was doing a bunch of stuff there, had his own restaurant in Barcelona, and they had hired him. And he'd, I think he had only been there for like a year, um, and I was just hired on as a line cook there.
0: Okay, so any
1: key lessons from Anthony at Nana, anything worth diving into? I mean- from a culinary perspective, he's the one this is when, you know, I'm gonna air quote the molecular gastronomy was kinda going off. This was what year would that be if I was to write this down? Uh, two thousand four. Two thousand four. You yeah. know what I mean? It was really hot then, you know what I mean? It was like that was like the thing. Yeah. And he was he was just from Spain where it was really getting birthed out there and he was he was he was on top of it and he really opened my mind up to and and because you know, culinary school and working in an Italian restaurant, you learn French classic techniques and Italian kind of techniques and that's kind of it and Anthony was doing these, you know, he was doing bubbles and foams and beads and rolled torsions out of all kinds of things. And it was just, it was a, it was a real creative way of thinking. I mean, I would spend, I would spend almost 15, 16 hours a day in that kitchen wow. and only be punched in for seven hours, <laughs> but just to learn and check it out. I mean, I learned how to break down fish. I learned how to, I you think know, that's such a, we need to like hover
0: over that just for a little yeah. bit because I think that is such a key indicator of whether or not you belong in this industry. Are you willing to, Spend your downtime learning because that 's what you want to do i mean if you're if you're fighting wishing to get out of the kitchen resenting every minute of the work you're doing and then get out, right? It, it, but if you can't get enough of it, then that's a good indicator to keep pushing for it. Right?
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, you nailed it right there. I mean, there was a group of, you know, three or four of us that would, we would pride ourselves about being the first cook in the kitchen and the last cook out of the kitchen because Anthony was beating us all day. Yeah. So the idea was to beat Bambachi to the kitchen and make him go home before you left, but he would be on top of the stove cleaning the ceiling tiles when you were punching out and like literally like had your coat off and you were like, chef, we're all leaving. He'd be like, cool, I'll see you guys tomorrow. And I'm like, what do what you come on freak show let's go like we've been here for a long (laughs) time and he just he had that drive and that push and, and it was it was something real special and i know he's still in dallas and we haven't really communicated a lot but uh he really had a big impact on me culinarily and he he gave me the ability to see how vast the world of food can be and how creative you can be with it and it's not just cooking a perfect piece of fish or a steak it's how you can be creative with it and how these flavors can come together and how you can really really manipulate you know what what you're doing and and that was what was real as a as a coming from culinary school seeing all these basic skills and techniques and then watching him work and learning from him really i think that was that was the jet fuel that really got me got me going so one thing i picked up in my research for this
0: conversation you learn from him that you've got to manage managers uh, and that was a huge key part for you and your evolution as a professional. Dive into what he meant by that yeah. and, and that lesson that he gave you. So,
1: basically, you know, every kitchen, every restaurant, every building, every business—it doesn't really matter. You know, there's layers of managers, and right. If you have three assistant managers, one is good at one thing, one is good at another, one is, is good at another thing, and you know, the the collaboration of all three of them make them good as a team. But you know, if you're working with one manager, and say this manager is not good at doing the orders but has to do the orders tonight and they're always coming in messed up and hey I put this on the list and this didn't get done and what happened so there was a lot of frustrations that I had as being a sous chef coming in and seeing you know the people that were above me struggle or what I thought they were struggling like hey they're not doing their job right and I need them to perform or whatever and you know there'd be countless conversations in his office and me being frustrated and me not knowing understanding what's going on and what why is this happening and how can we make this better and what's ha- and he he one day just goes he he used to call me uh, the gooch. And he goes, hey, what you need to do is just learn to manage your managers. And it, I, was, I looked at him like a puzzled dog. I tilted my head a little bit and I was like, what What do you mean by that? And he didn't really explain it anymore. So he goes, just manage your managers. And I went home that night and probably had a couple of shots of whiskeys and a beer. And I was like, oh, may, maybe I do get what he's saying. So this is really interesting. I want to spend some more time here because when I first read that, in
0: my mind, I was thinking you as a owner – or a GM, uh, or a director of operation have to manage your managers and in managing your managers that you control, you know, the, the ship. Right. But now listening to you, I'm realizing you were a line cook. Yeah. Managing your managers, the people that were managing you. So this is completely turns my perspective of the situation, like upside down. So, uh, how do you manage your managers? Yeah, how do you do that? So,
1: so going back to work the next days, the next weeks or whatever, I then was able to develop different relationships with each sous chef, chef de cuisine, and I was able to in my own way, understand how to get them to work for me more effectively to make my job easier. So then I had more time and I knew who was good at what, who was doing what and whatnot. And so what I would do, I would just go to work. And if, if I knew one of the sous chefs was going to break down fish, I would just be like, Hey, can you go ahead and knock these out for me too? And they nine out of 10 times would totally just do it and work it out. Or I would say, Hey, you're breaking down fish today. So am I, why don't I go ahead and do that for you? And the more, the more that I again manage them to do their job better i said hey do you know that that order needs to be in and oh make sure that we go ahead and get this my life got a lot easier as did theirs and then as did the entirety of the kitchen the structure just came together so it wasn't about like a top to bottom management it wasn't i would go in and be like hey you need to do this you need to do that it was it was a minor manipulation of the situation that i was in and that that you will always be in because you know there's always going to be a boss, right? There's always going to be somebody above you most of the time. Even here, I'm, I'm, I'm the owner of this restaurant, but I have investors and I have people to answer to, whether it's a bank or it's you know a family friend that loans some money. But at the end of the day, I have to manage those expectations with them. And if I manage them in, in, in from the top to bottom, it, it makes everybody's life easier. It takes a lot of stress and things out of the situation that you're in most of the time.
0: So many things going through my head right now, man. I'm loving this. Uh, I think the big takeaway I'm getting, it's not so much you're managing, it's almost like you're anticipating right and that's the same that that mentality of anticipating needs is true regardless of what position you are or where you know where you are on the the hierarchy right Or even managing as an owner managing anticipating the needs of your restaurant as a server managing and anticipating the needs of your guests and being ahead and not waiting for the the shit to hit the fan but to anticipate that it's going to hit the fan unless you do something and interject and and that's sounds like you as a line cook or whatever position you were at at this time, were seeing something coming, right? You were ahead of the restaurant, and you were being proactive in communicating with the managers and making their lives easier. And and, and, yes, and you nailed it. So yeah, yeah, I
1: mean, you put your finger right on the button and it is, it's all about anticipating what is going to happen next and tertiary. And as you go through the line, I always tell people, I see things in 3D. So I see things from A to Z, but I look at A, F, Z. I look at, I look at the full gamut. I don't, I don't look linear and I don't try to tackle one problem at a time. I like to look at the whole problem and then really try to dissect where the pressure points are in my mind before it happens. And sometimes it gets me in trouble because I start talking too far ahead of the game and I've kind of missed a few points in the beginning. But what ends up happening is I've saved so much time because I've seen the whole puzzle or the whole problem or the whole anticipatory situation from the top. I can I can back it all the way down. Yeah. I think we've all kind of been there before where we maybe don't like a manager or somebody we're working
0: with and we we see the shit about the hit to fan and we go oh this is going to be good. Like, yeah. we want to see uh-huh. that person like flounder fail. And, and fail yeah. which is kind of fucked up. Yeah. Oh, oh it's 100% <laughs> fucked up,
1: but you know you want their job, right? So yeah. when you say this is a cutthroat business, that's how that goes. But it's also counterintuitive
0: because the way to get that job is to show everybody else that like hey like heads up. You yeah. know like this is going to happen. And what other people are going to notice that. Other people are going to see that you're on your ship by making sure that they're, the, the, the ship is staying afloat, right? And anticipating the needs of these people, helping these people out. That's how you fast track, not by letting people
1: fail. And, and, and then that's how you, and then you nailed it. And I learned that at, a, and again, I was 22. And that's when, when Bambachi told me to manage my managers. And I learned that that degree and how that, what that really meant or what that meant to me. It might have meant something different to him. But what it meant to me was that is let's don't let people fail. Let's don't say, like, if I know that, you know, there's a meeting at 1 o'clock and it's, it's 1230 and I haven't heard from you and I don't text you. I'm like, hey, what's up? You know, we have this meeting at 30 minutes. You're like, oh, thanks for the reminder. Or I can sit here and let you be five minutes late and say, oh, I overslept and that's like a thing. And you know what I mean? And it's like it, there's no need for that, right? There's always I, – if I have the time to give somebody a heads up or to be like, hey, friendly reminder, this is what we got going on, it makes everybody's life easier. It takes a lot of stress out of it. And you would play anybody for a fool if you don't think anybody around you doesn't see that happening. You know, they know what is going on. You know what I'm saying? It, it it all comes out in the wash, really, at the end of the day. Awesome. I'm loving this conversation, Chef.
0: So you mentioned during the pre-interview chat uh, that you really grew in the early years at Ocean Air Seafood Room,
1: right? It was – well <laughs> – the Oceanaire was weird because it was a multi-unit, and I only worked there for a little bit, and I left Nana to go to work for the so Oceanaire. So um, I needed some money, <laughs> to be honest <laughs> with okay. you. You know, most cooks and most, you know, junior sous and however it goes, you work in the nice restaurant, you know, don't get paid a lot, and you work a lot of hours. This was an opportunity to go take a sous chef job, and, you know, they were going to pay me forty five k a year, and, and, and I was like, big man, yeah, I was like, <laughs> wow, and I get benefits, yeah. and oh, you want to send me to, you know, I get to go to D.C. for a month and a half and learn more fish butchery this is awesome so yeah I, I left Bambachi's kitchen about 8 months in which you know it, I wish I would have stayed longer in hindsight but I like where I'm at now you know what I mean I think I learned a lot you know from him and you know as as it goes but you know the thing about the Oceanary Seafood Room is I got to learn a lot of systems and that mm. you know that's a whole new gamut of you know kitchen and chefery and cookery and management and everything is, is they had 10 units and there was inventory once a week and there was how they costed things out how they printed their menu Every day it was a whole different ball game than just walking into a kitchen. Cool, what are we putting on the menu tonight? Let's make this dish or this special or whatever, and then let's let's move along and let's charge thirty-two dollars for it with some back of the you know menu math. You know what I mean? And this was all calculated down to the cent, and that was that was real neat. And they, I mean, this, they they had a staff. I mean, I was then when when I was at Nana, I was only managing. I was a roundsman, a, you know, a, a tornant, and there was three or four cooks that I would manage, air quote but at the end of the day what what really like got me into more managing and understanding was when i went to oceanair seafood room and there was 15 cooks now i was their manager and i could see they were poking holes in everything i was doing and how i was doing it and if i was late or if my chef coat wasn't tucked in or if it was dirty or my apron was messed up or you know all the things they were looking at me and so that's when i could go back to that gentleman i talked about in the beginning when i was working in portland while I was going to school, he I would always remember that he would show up to work every day with the pressed pants mm. and, you know what I mean, a nice suit jacket. And, you know, I just started to kind of put that mentality in. Yeah. And I was kind of hoping you would say it earlier when you were talking about this gentleman. What was his name again? John.
0: John. Um, really what he was doing was setting the standard. Yes, right? 100%. And, and you can't expect anybody to to live to the standard unless you're doing it yourself. And I think you see the value in that. It's kind of like me reading between the lines right now.
1: Well, I mean, I mean, that's as, as a good interviewee does or interviewer does is you, you do, you are reading between the lines, but it is setting the standard and everything you do and how you carry yourself inside of a building, outside of a building to somebody, how you introduce yourself. If you say you're going to be somewhere, you know, that is all, that is all building the relationship of anything that you're doing. You know what I mean? And it really does go down to a respect of, Everybody else, you know, if we say end time is at one, we need to be here at one. You know what I mean? Like that's when we're ready to go. It's not because everybody's waiting on you. You know, yeah. so it's it really is. It is that it is that setting the standard and then building that respect and that rapport daily.
0: Okay, you also really mentioned uh, the importance of the systems that they taught you here. So can you dive into? some specifics of systems or or way they did things that you you're applying to your life to this day or things something that we should know as listeners to the, no, of this podcast. No, I mean,
1: I, I really this the overall thing about the whole systems is is there's a lot of and this was in 2003 now and now it's 2018. There was so much technology out there that I had no idea that was a thing. You know, they had invoicing technology and it wasn't there's not one thing that it is, but you know, the 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 thing about systems and in that I will always put down is that there's a resource out there to help you that you don't have to struggle. You don't have to spend a lot of time. If you are not an accountant, don't be an accountant. Mm-hmm. Don't mess with it. You know what I mean? Like do the things that you're good at and then learn on the side. But when you take your, you know, 12 hour work day and you're really struggling to do a menial task that somebody else can do in two minutes, try to farm that out. You know what I mean? And that's what these systems really did. They, they put into a lot of like perspective, perspective you know what i mean it was like it wasn't about what system it was per se or what was going on it was more about there's help out there and how you go and find that help and and really put it to use saves you a lot of time which then gives you the time to do the things that you're good at
0: yeah i think another way to, to to say that it's like uh there's two types of people or two i mean it's like the yin and the yang right the opposite there's a the the, the people-dependent operations, which kind of sounds like Nana was more of a people-dependent operation, where you had really talented, driven people, and then there's a system-dependent operation, right, where you can't necessarily rely on all the people to do everything, but you create systems uh, around all the processes that need to get done and don't
1: necessarily re- rely on the skills, and then you plug great people into those systems. Is that one It's it's sort of It's not really Such a black and white thing okay. It's not such a Yin and yang thing They go symbiotically Together though And so that's the Real point about it Is that A few systems With really skilled people Really makes Something beautiful mm. And makes things A lot easier And so I think That's the Like the lesson here Is like coming from Nana where it was There was systems You know we had prep sheets And we had things And it was a hotel right So we would order things And the receiving director Would grab all of our Get all of our stuff in And then bring it all up And then we had Comey's unpack it all And put it away Really nicely And you know there was there was there was a rhyme and a reason right as any kind of brigade like classic brigade kitchen would work but 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 Ocean Air as a 10 unit, you know, they had one in Indianapolis and one in San Diego and one I think in Seattle and, you know, they had you know, they had 10 over the country and at the end of the day, they, they had they had their systems that were working for them mm-hmm. but they were very fine-tuned in their technology and how they did things and when things worked and how we did inventory and, and th- those were those were new things for me to see and so when you plug in, sorry, when you plug in skilled people along with some systems, then what happens is the systems can take over and do the the tests that, you know, not, ne- not necessarily every chef or cook wants to do or not mm-hmm. every wine director wants to do inventory or do all these things. What they want to do is they want to spend their time on discovering new wines and putting these, 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 these hidden gems on the menu and getting them maybe costed outright and training the staff on yeah. it and selling them to guests. But if they're spending a lot of time trying to count their inventory and, and whatnot, that's, that's where their time is going and yes. they can't do their job in a more elegant way. I think the big
0: question is what's your time worth, right? And, and where are you best suited to be, be spending that time? Yeah, we call and, it aces
1: in their place. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
0: yeah. So if you can pay for a service that might cost twenty dollars a month uh, to, that's essentially a system that is better than a system that you can create on your own, and then have that kind of streamline a process, and then you can redirect your your attention, your time where it's better spent is now what I'm. One hundred percent. Okay, Yeah. Um. So one other thing. Oh man, it escaped my head. It was it was on the it was on the back burner, and I was going to bring it forward, and I lost it. Ooh. Uh Oh, we'll come back to me later. Um, so, any other things we should know about Ocean Air that that really helped you moving forward into your career?
1: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> to be honest with you, I, I knew that I never wanted to work <laughs> in that environment again. <laughs> to be honest with okay. you, it was what, um, what was that environment? It's Take just that, Yeah, I mean, it's just you know, it's a it's a small corporate environment with not you know, there wasn't a ton of like soul. There wasn't a, there wasn't a lot of heart into it. You know, it was it was it was a it was a full business. Um, and me coming from these smaller, more or less, I'll call them mom and pop operations, even though Nana was in a hotel, it was really ran like almost on a separate thing. But um, at the end of the day, it's just, you know, I I like the idea of hospitality being very personal and this, this you know what I mean, nothing against Ocean Air where it's at and, you know, businesses like that. It's just a not for me thing got you um that thing that i wanted to mention came back into my Ooh, head he found it, yo. you uh
0: you mentioned earlier the importance of just like pricing on a menu to the penny right and i'm not going to make you get into detail with that because we only have so much time to yeah, talk today exactly but if you're listening to this and you want to be better about that or you know you can be better about that uh head over to restaurant com slash 568 that is this episode i will link to david scott peter's episode where he breaks that down in detail and uh i'm telling you listen to that episode because you will be better after it okay let's move forward um Dallas Fish Market, Coyote Ridge Golf Club, Coastal Hotel Group, anything worth spending time in this. uh, Yeah,
1: we'll kind of. So basically, after when I was in Dallas, I was in Dallas for about two years. I'd worked at four or five places doing some consulting and whatnot. And my buddy John, who was that reference again, was still in Portland and said, Hey, there's a couple opportunities up here. You should maybe come and check it out. Coastal Hotel Group um, purchased a hotel property in downtown Portland on Front and Morrison. and I moved up there in 2007. Yeah, Yeah. Um yeah. some research for this one. Thank you. I like it. I was like, <laughs> when was I up there? Um, um, it was, I did a tasting for an old, it was called the Riverside Hotel, and they were going to remodel it. And it was really from 1982. It was really bad, bad shape. Kitchen was bad shape. And I went in there and did a tasting for them. Um, I was 24 at the time. Um, They hired me (laughs) to my surprise. Um, They thought I had the chops and I had everything that I could take and I could get in there and and really, you know, put put their hotel on the map if you will and um prior to that i had no hotel experience you know i'd worked in a couple corporations and you know for some corporate places some mom and pop i worked at the hilton you know so i think maybe some of those things were kind of some some helpful moments to get me the job but at that point in time i knew i could cook and i knew what my vision of food was i knew what i wanted to do as a chef um so it was easy for me to go in there and knock out you know a tasting for five executives and move along mm-hmm. um they hired me moved up there um, and up
0: to this point this is where you spent most of your career 2007 to 2011 4 years 4 years what was it any way you grew as a professional during those yeah, four years yeah
1: i was i was 24 i was executive chef food and beverage director wine buyer all in this time Jesus. frame at a at you know we were doing upwards of 2 million million in food and beverage revenue at the hotel the hotel was doing around 10 million a year we had 144 rooms um, I was making really good money at the time for being a 24-year-old yeah. with no, nobody to care for but my own degenerate self at the time. <laughs> um, and I was a complete asshole. Okay. I was the worst. <laughs> Dive was, into,
0: paint the picture of what a complete asshole looks like.
1: I was Everybody arrogant. just picture what an yeah. asshole looks well, like. Well, you exactly right. Guys. No, that's fine. Get the balloon uh, exactly out Exactly right now. <laughs> uh, uh, uh. um, no, I mean, I was, I was arrogant and ornery and nobody could tell me none the wiser. And it was, I was turning over staff and I was yelling at people unruly. I, I, I had pissed a lot of people off very emotionally and and not that it makes me emotional right now, but I would say that I learned what not to do in a four year period. Take me to the
0: low of the low. When you realize that you had gone so far in the wrong direction
1: I was well it didn't it didn't hit me until I moved to Austin to be honest with you and that's I think that's what was probably the bigger kick in the nuts and you know what I mean that I was I was doing my thing and, and there was pressure but not really and the hotel was making money and we were being successful and we had you know it was it was all good I wasn't making any successful strides in the culinary world um, star chefs came out to visit you know what I mean that was kind of about it but I wasn't really making any lists in Portland I still thought I was hot shit it was just you know what it was it was when i when i came back to austin and started working at uchi i realized that as a boss and a manager i didn't do anything that i thought i was going to be doing i i was i was so i was so short i was so know it all i didn't listen to people i didn't i didn't i didn't I br- briefly i just didn't care what they had thought it was mm. all about me and that's just such a shit way to do it well, oh my god you're explaining you know that 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 is
0: not the right way to do it. But really get into the why. Why is that not the right way to do that? Like what are you?
1: What did you create in the culture by by being like that? I mean, it was it was a fear driven culture. It was it was I'll replace you. I will I will. It was it was an old basically I was an old school chef that had a lot of chops or thought he did. And I could treat people however I wanted and they were going to stick around and it didn't matter. And really, truth be told, that wasn't the case. You know, I was still, you know, outside of work, I was still a nice guy. People were still friends with me or whatever. But, you know, people did not want, I mean, they did not really want to work with me on a daily basis because of how short and shitty and condescending and everything that I was. And, you know, (laughs) even when I opened this restaurant, it's still a little bit of that kind of crept back out. And I've just only been trying to get better. And the reason I'm saying this is that, I want everybody to know that's listening is that I look back on that part of my career and know that I had really, like, bucked up.
0: I appreciate the honesty, and I think that that's where that we grow the most is yeah. by getting honest and saying, this is a picture of perfection. This is what I'm trying to be, but I'm not always that. Thing. Yeah, and, 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 and,
1: and, and, and but I think the failure in that really led me to where I am now, and that's why I kind of wanted to kind of, you were asking me before we kind of got kicked off in the mics and everything, but, you know, that that four-year stint, I was able to learn a lot about the business of not only hotels and everything, but I was also able to learn a lot about there was no more layers i was I was responsible for everything mm-hmm. and you know, I took those pressures really hard, in the beginning, and I just perpetuated. And I didn't do anything to let those down. I didn't do anything to relieve those pressures. So on a daily basis, I would go in and if something was messed up or fucked up or wasn't right or we didn't prep something or whatever, I would I would lose it. You know, I mean, I would just straight lose it. I mean, I had a guy throw a towel at my head and kick a trash can across the room like a grown man. And I'm just like, What the fuck is going on here? You know, I mean it was it was it was almost anarchy in that building sometimes, but in a controlled way. And and not that not that every day was miserable. Not that I was a total complete when I say I was an asshole and a piece of shit. But it was it wasn't really. It, it's not as extreme as I'm making it. But really, what I want the listeners out there to understand is that nobody's perfect, and you're always going to make some mistakes. That's why we're human, and that's that's the real point of all this. Is that you know, as long as you can grow and learn, and this even take a small step forward every day, you're doing the right thing, no matter how you how you slice it. So the man you are today, going back
0: in time, if you could handle those situations differently when things aren't, you know completed on the checklist or not done right like how would you handle that today
1: yeah it's not the end of the world this Mm -hmm. is food you know what i mean like we can move on we're chefs we're skilled we're talented Mm -hmm. let's let's figure something out what are we gonna do now like what what are we gonna do now like this has already happened right me me losing losing it you know over something isn't is not gonna like that's not gonna brace the short rib (laughs) you know what i mean like it doesn't make it you know so what we have to figure out is okay well that happened how do we make sure it doesn't happen again and what are we going to do now?
0: It's like that constant gentle pressure. Oh, miles. yeah, well, you know right? I love that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, so yeah. man, uh, man constant, of my heart, exactly. Yeah. And it's just that, like, okay, like
1: you're you're
0: you're centering the salt shaker. Like that, this is where it is right now. That's not right. Let me show you again where it is. And to know that that is your job, and to not lose your shit yeah. every time the salt shaker is not in the center of the
1: table, but just to correct it and then
0: gentle, constantly, all the time. Right? Yeah,
1: and and that's that's really put a lot of results and in, in things into perspective for me, really, a hundred percent. Awesome.
0: So eventually, you get this great opportunity in Austin. What what brought you to Austin? Like, how did that go down?
1: So I was I was approached by a family friend who was living in Austin, and they were going to work on a, a bowling alley concept with high end food and whatnot. And um, it was going to be at the time I didn't know the exact location and wasn't really familiar with Austin too much because again, I was in San Marcos, not really in Austin. So I wasn't really like hit to where all the areas were and what was going on. But basically they wanted to build a a higher end bowling alley concept with some pool tables and a bar and some really nice food. So it was kind of a one stop shop date night kind of a thing. Um, We had had a couple of phone conversations. We agreed on a fee and, you know, me coming down here. So they, you know, I put my notice in at the hotel, to my surprise they made a counter offer they wanted me to stay <laughs> two years later the <laughs> owner of the hotel group asked if I wanted to come back and run some other properties so I guess you know in full I wasn't like that big of an asshole or something you, <laughs> you know something I, I don't even know yeah, yeah I did something right over there but um, it, I came down to Austin and worked on this this project with um, the group and I had left in the middle of it because we weren't seeing eye to eye what well, I was holding the phone and what the food was going to be it wasn't really what they wanted to do And I was just like, well, this is not what I want to do. It's not really what I wanted to go culinarily. You know what I mean? I didn't want to make just bowling alley nachos and stuff. I wanted to make nice food for people to enjoy Mm -hmm. while they were you know, playing pool and doing whatever. So what'd you
0: learn from that experience? If you could extract one nugget, uh, a a way to better communicate, protect
1: yourself, what'd you learn? I learned that, and this is going to sound funny, but. Sometimes you just never know. You know, people are going to tell you what they want, what what they want you to hear, and what's going on to try to secure something or get it done. And you know, I had to be willing to pivot, and that's really what life's about: is making pivots, making moves, knowing that hey, this isn't where I want to be. And you know what? If it's going to be a little rough for now, that's fine. But I don't think anybody should ever stay in a place where they think they're uncomfortable or where they don't really want to be, because it's not good for really the entirety of the project or anything else going on. You know, if somebody's unhappy or disgruntled, that's a that's a bad. Situation situation for the entirety of everybody including that individual so that's that's really the more like the lesson that i learned because you know i was going in there every day trying to fight for all these things and they were fighting me back on it and i was like why are we fighting about this this is almost this is ridiculous really i was like i don't have to be here you guys can find somebody yeah. that will do this stuff yeah. why what are we doing here yeah you know it's not good for you and it's also not good for them so
0: if you can see if on an early stage that there's that things just aren't clicking that you're not on the the trajectory that you want to be on then
1: you know course correct
0: yeah exactly and help everybody else out and that's really the that's
1: the pivot is really what is important and that's what I say course yeah, correct yeah. pivot be okay don't, don't it's don't be scared to pivot you know and when we start talking about Juniper you'll hear a bunch of pivots and things yeah. that we've done because you know at the end of the day that is what is successful if you read any kind of big company you can read the Zappos you know, we'll, know what I mean we'll like get their there, story we'll yeah get there. but but the, really pivoting is re- and, and people should do that in their personal life and that's really the main I have some really cool thoughts on that too so yeah.
0: I, I can't wait to dive into that but we have like two year stint right where you're at are at I mean you just happened to land at uchi right like like which is a great restaurant group to be a part of a part of in a city like austin during this time because they're kind of at this time like at yeah, the top they, of yeah, in,
1: you know to this day yeah they basically so i left you know a, a very well-paying job in austin at that bowling alley before it was open and didn't really have a lot of money i was staying at a friend's house actually at the time and i just said well if I'm not going to be the boss of somewhere and I'm not going to be the chef, then I'm going to go work at the best place. Mm-hmm. So sent my resume in to Uchi Co. and got a phone call from Philip Spear or an email. I don't remember. When Past the, guest on the show, by uh, the way. Yeah, Great episode. He, Check yeah. it out. Um, Anyways, we, we we had some conversations. I was like, look, I want to be a sous chef. This is, you know what I mean? What's going on? He goes, I'll hire you as a line cook at 12 bucks an hour. I go, I'll take you 12 bucks an hour. And yeah. I said, but... We'll be, we'll be having a chat every month as I hopefully progress. I said, this is where, this is where I want to be. And I knew there was some movement and some things going around, and, and so they're constantly
0: you, opening places.: Yeah, like, and that's if what you you got yeah. the chops, like, And you can do it, like you're going to create opportunities. And, and so I had known that, right yeah. So
1: I didn't take the job going, "Oh man, I'm just going to be on the struggle bus, 12 bucks an hour forever, and this is going to suck," and you know whatever. I just went in there, basically put my head down for a month and a half two months. And then we revisited and he, I just kind of laugh hope he listens to this because Philip goes, okay, well, we're going to make you a junior sous chef. I was like, no. <laughs> I was like, I'd rather just continue to stay as a line cook. I do not want the title of a junior sous chef on my resume. There's no need for that right now, right? I was yeah. like, I've been constantly going up the ladder. I don't, I don't know about this. And so we just kind of waited it out, out a little bit, but you know, I had become kind of, you know, right hand man of of Philip and you know I was kind of leading some tastings and stuff and you know there was there was a couple chefs over at Uchi and you know there's some movement and stuff but you know at the end of the day I and I will say this Fully openly, But I had never wanted to cook Japanese food. It wasn't what I wanted to do. I just wanted to work at the best restaurant. And so sometimes, you know, again, you know, you go out there and I put myself, I had no idea what any Japanese food. I mean, I'm only coming from like Spanish cuisine to, you know, Italian to being classically French trained, you know, in a French culinary school. So I had no clue of any Asian food at all. Okay. So I'm curious, um, when Philip Spear
0: did come back to you and say, we'll make you a junior Sue, was was he just trying to show that he recognized that you are busting your ass, that you do have a job, so that doesn't have an opportunity for you? Was that his way of showing that you're moving up? uh, Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, it was
1: was to show that there was some movement and they wanted to kind of still see what I had and how I'd manage people and how things would go on. I mean, that was, I think that was, from my perspective and maybe in hindsight, is there was probably room. For me to be a sous chef If they wanted to make it But you know They also Uchi's a big proponent And they were at the time Of making people Go through the steps mm. Right you Why need, is that you, so important? Um, You know I mean it's like It's like every journey You know It's like getting to the top Of a staircase You know You don't get to Just skip steps You know mm. You have to you To get to the top You have to take the step You know mm. what I mean Like and And I think it's important To really do that You know And I think that some people can I don't say skip a step But can maybe take two steps You know what I mean At, at some time But I don't I think it's um, I think I think going through the process of all these things is always important. Yeah. And I think the other look at,
0: look at the French Laundry, for example, I've had multiple people on the show from the, you know, to the stage or worked a year or two at the French Laundry. And everybody that goes through that restaurant starts as a food runner or whatever the bottom is. Right. Because you have to observe it first. You have to see what it looks like. And it's more than just being good at the job. It's understanding the culture and Going through being a part of all those systems, you really start to pick up.
1: The, you learn the standards. You you really learn the culture in that time.
0: Is that safe to say? Yeah. There's, there's no. To-
1: yeah. There's no other way around it. You can't. You can't put somebody in and plug them in in the middle mm-hmm. of the story, and for them to know all the backstories, all the front. You know what I mean? That you just don't know. That you, it's just. It's really too hard to do. So the best way and the best thorough way to do it is say, "Cool, we're going to go through all the steps here, and we go through all the steps. Then you get to see everything, and you get to understand the full breadth, the full picture of what's going on and the culture.
0: Yeah. So you eventually became the director of uh culinary. Was that the thing? No, of- no,
1: that's that was um I was I was like the creative director. Okay, Basically what, what I, I ended up doing is I went to Houston for about four months um worked at Uchi Houston. And I wasn't really there was no title there. I didn't really have a title. I was kind of like it's kind of like a chef vagabond kind of just roaming around to the to the locations. And then finally I said, I need to have a title. i like, well, what do you want it to be? And I was like, I want it to be creative director. And I'm like, fine, have that. <laughs> so what's a creative director? Well, you know, so what I would do is my daily job was I would help with um, uh, recipe development and getting things on the board and, and kind of more of the creative juices. Because really what, what the chef teams were tasked to do at Uchi is really something phenomenal. But, you know, each each week and then we changed it to every two weeks just because the creative process was so arduous and really taxing on a cook and a chef to pull out you know 10 to 12 new dishes every week mm. and you know philly philip and paul and tyson were doing that when they first opened and then they wrote a cookbook and then they had all these lists that you couldn't use and it was all this stuff that was you know got to a point where you know we were doing a lot of repetitive food because it was so much mm. so often so fast so furious and so what i went in there to do is i i was just when i was at that that level of creative director and then i started working on saint philip that was my first like task scheduled job to do all the food for saint philip is to lead the charge on the the development of all that with a small team but um Really before that had happened, right? I was I was I was at Uchi Uchi Co. and we were doing tastings and we were working with the with the with the cooks and the kind of the, the junior sous chefs along with the chef de cuisines at the spot to help basically fuel
0: the creative side. So St. Philip was the first restaurant you helped open. Even though I did it ever open? Shane, Phil? Yeah, yeah. Because I know that was. Uh, I was.
1: Yeah, yeah. I wasn't. I was. I had left the team about ten days before it had officially opened. But all the work that goes on before that, yeah, it's
0: like laying the groundwork, making sure that exactly with with general contractors, mm-hmm. designers, engineers, all that. Yeah, So of that.
1: that that was a different side. of It was basically I had a team of um, a chef and a pastry chef and myself, and we created all the pizza, all the small plates, all the everything with Philip and Tyson doing some tastings in there, and some of the other directors and some of the other bosses and managers. We would hold once a week tastings and we were just developing the food for that concept is basically or is that costing it out getting samples in really working the menu from raw from scratch
0: so i mean that was the first experience you had doing that and and you were doing this just before going out and opening your own place was that kind of the plan to help this place go to 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 use that opportunity to to learn as much about Opening a restaurant as possible So you go out and do your own thing Or did it happen Some other serendipity way
1: Um, I had helped open A couple other restaurants okay. On some contract work But um, no I mean The goal for me When I moved to Austin And part of the whole plan Was that I was gonna open My own restaurant in Austin okay. When and where And what time frame That was all open um, and once I had started working with Uchi, it became more and more real because the investor group were like, cool, now you are working for one of the best restaurants and recognized restaurants over the country. So that's is another variable
0: cl- that uh, I think is really important. Um, if you want to open your own restaurant, go work for the best because that's your resume. That's what investors are going to be looking at. They're going to
1: be looking at a track record of success, right? Was that going through your mind? Yeah, I mean, f- uh, for sure. You know what I mean? It, it is... Uh, it was it was so much so as the investors as it was to have some background and some roots in the town that I was gonna open a restaurant. You know, I could have move directly from Portland, opened up a small restaurant and rolled the dice to see how it went. But it did it did help that I had worked for Uchi for two years and I was able to put that on, you know, PR releases and stuff like that to gain more guests and more more intrigued to come mm-hmm. here you know because when people read like oh he worked at uchi for two years or whatever maybe this is going to be good you know what yeah. I mean? like it gives you a little bit of of background before you before
0: you open so let's dive into it um how'd you get the opportunity to open juniper where did this all like how did it all play out let's get into the, the yeah
1: so really the the people that brought me down to help the bowling alley is now my main investor in juniper okay. his name's rick um he lives in canada Um, basically we found a spot, we found three different spots really, to be honest with you. And and none of them were the spot that we're currently in found a spot. We basically kind of wrote like a small menu, um, kind of changed three or four times, um, made a proposal to him and he basically just said yes. And it wasn't, I, I hate to say this, it wasn't hard. You know what I mean? It was, it was a couple phone conversations and a couple just, yeah, I'm ready to do this thing. So. We, we had looked at a couple spaces, a couple LOIs went out, a couple of those fell through. One was on Rainy Street, one was downtown, it was a little too expensive. One was actually where Luster Pearl is right now, the, the, where they moved it from, um, from Rainy Street to the, to the Luster Pearl East. Um, and all of those kept falling through, and it kept always pushing and, and jogging my timeline. I knew about a, a year and a couple months into Uchi that I was going to open this, that, that the investor said, yes, he's good for the money. Um, and it was it was kind of awkward, you know, kind of towards the end. And then finally, I just had a conversation with Philly. I'm like, "I'm doing my own thing. What do you want to do here?" Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Kind of a deal. But um, basically, what happened is he he we we just went out and we hired contractors and designers and architects and we made a budget. Me and my business partner that's locally here, um, and we just we did this thing together. So how many partners. You have the the money in Canada. The uh-huh. business partner that's here locally, and that's it.
0: And you. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was that process, like, of going out, and, and
1: this is the first time that you, you got the engineer the designer mm-hmm. and all this stuff what was that like any lessons there yeah you know there's there's again this goes into you know not knowing who you're working with you know i didn't have any of these relationships i'd never built the restaurant before i didn't know if this contractor was going to be good i didn't know if this architect was good i didn't know i could just look at their resume and you know you sign these big contracts you know for you know twenty, thirty, forty, fifty thousand 50 thousand dollars to have these people do the work and you're like oh my goodness that's so much fucking money you <laughs> yeah. know what i mean like what the hell and you know you just kind of have to put it in people's hands and have faith that they're going to really deliver and help shape and then really dive the project and, and keep it was, it was a constant thing every day that I would wake up and we would look, I would look at the plans. I would look at the materials. I would put my hands on it. I would, I was, I was a part of every bit of process of this, from start to finish just so I knew what was going on.
0: Yeah. I just recently interviewed somebody who is the, uh, he, he's a founder of a hospitality construction company, uh, Robert uh, Mescalato. Uh, and because this is a conversation that comes up a lot, like putting everything together. And we in that interview, we kind of break it down. Like the things that, that you, the conversations you should be having or having with your general contractor and all these things. Uh, you said that you, you weren't, there wasn't a way to like vet them or to know if they going to be doing the job right is yeah you, well yeah
1: well I mean so you can go off their past restaurants you can yeah. go in there and look and see what they've done yeah. and what that quality is but you know they're just general contractors so then they hire you know subcontractors and there's other people out here and at the time that we were building in Austin and still now there's so much work being done that it is hard to find yeah plumbers and people that are able to do the work yeah, just yeah. to do the work even on timeline but even on budget you know so th- those are there's so many factors that go into building oh my goodness okay got you uh, I could go
0: deeper here but i there's i want to dive into uh some of the things that you already kind of teased at right Mm -hmm. the idea of of pivoting and, and starting small and uh Take us to the day that, that you open. You, you, I mean, you, obviously, you pull off the, the construction work. It looks beautiful in here. You pull a team together. I mean, how did you pull that team together? Let's start there.
1: Yeah, so, you know, working at Uchi for two years, there was a, a good grasp of, of contacts that I had. And, you know, as it goes, you know, you could call it poached or you could call it that they wanted to come and work over here. Um, I wasn't offering them any more money or any more incentive or any of that nature. But, you know, I had a couple of cooks come from Uchi and, you know, in the current environment and climate that we're in, in in Austin, you know, good cooks are hard to find. And especially if you open a new restaurant, they want to be on that ship. You know, they want to be off the launch point. Um, So to staff the restaurant when we first opened was really not a challenge at all. You know, we I remember I think we had had 20 servers and 15 cooks. We are down to like 10 servers and like eight cooks um, as it goes. And and as I keep unfolding the, the layers of this story. Um, staffing the restaurant was not a difficult one. Um, I think that's another testament to going to work for the best restaurants. Even if
0: you're not the, the boss, uh, go surround yourself with the best in the city because those will be your future business partners. Those will be your future employees, right? Just, to, just the, the value of building that network early on.
1: Yeah, and I mean, and in, in Phillip Spear actually really introduced me to a lot of people around Austin and, and throughout what was going on and and I really thank him a lot for that, you know, we're like kind of like didn't put me on the map, but you know, we went out and I was able to say, yeah, I worked for this company for two years and I rose all the way to the, basically, I was the only person in, aside from Paul, Tyson, and Philip, to be able to run tastings. Okay. And tastings were like really important to the, to the business and the culture of what was going on. That's what I was talking about. But I was, I was one of the only few people that they had ever let do that in 10 years. Wow. And you know what I mean? That was really important and special to me. And, and I think that I proved myself to. To Tyson and Philip, um, Paul was Paul had left right as I was starting, so Paul wasn't really there. But um, I really think I pro- had proven myself and my skill and my worth and my knowledge through multiple tastings and, and meetings and whatnot with them that they were able to let me do that, which mm. was really special. But I don't want to say I digress, but I'd really like to make sure that 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 people know out there it's not just going to work for the best restaurant it's going to those best restaurants or those restaurants and doing your best work yes thank that's, you for specifying yeah i just because you know a lot of a lot of young people or whatever are just like cool yeah i worked at french laundry for two weeks and it's like cool beans what, what yeah. the fuck is We're that the mean? food runner yeah you that's food, what i'm saying yeah. like that that means nothing to me you know what i mean i don't care about your small stage at noma like you didn't do you know what i mean you might have picked up a little bit of stuff but you didn't learn it yeah you know so when you go work for the best restaurant you got to give them a year you got to really get in there and dive in it's got to be at least a year you know if not too and that's that's really the main the main point about when you say going to work for the best restaurants i need I, I need everybody out there to understand is you don't you can't learn enough about something in such a short time frame thank you for breaking that down yeah. i
0: appreciate that so you have your team. You're, you're, you're popping things off here at Juniper. Take us through that process. Yeah, of, I mean, we... Finding your identity yeah, and all yeah,
1: that. Yeah, so we, we opened Juniper, and the, the the original concept for Juniper was to do... I always wanted to do a tasting menu, right? And, you know, worked at these restaurants. I did these awesome, glorious tasting menus. You know, they have the omakase at, at, at Uchi, and it's all awesome, and, you know, you just get food, and it's nice. And you, But I wanted people to be able to... You know, choose their own adventure, if you will. Um, so what we did is we designed a menu with 23 items on it, all smartly priced, low price. But basically what we wanted to do was a two-top, would come in and sit down, choose the six things that they wanted to eat, and hopefully they would do it in, like, tandem. And they would basically build their own tasting menu, and then we would take the menus away, and then things would come out in a substantial course. Um, when we opened... It went off very well. We had, we were very busy. We had a lot of stuff right out the gate and there was a lot of, you know, critics liked us. You know, there was a lot of really positive reviews of what we had going on. I mean, I think Odom gave us, you know, a nine. I mean, we were in Texas Monthly. Um, we were in, yeah, in Texas Monthly, we were the top 10 restaurants to open that year, new restaurants. So we had some, some really good, you know, right out the gate acclaim for what we were doing. I think people could come in here, understand the space it was smartly designed, the open kitchen, the bars back there. But the food, the regular guests weren't really grasping on to the food and how the menu should work. You know, they were getting one ravioli for, you know, nine bucks and they didn't understand that they're each supposed to get their own. And the price, the value, perception, it wasn't really working for what we had going on. And we're getting a lot of negative feedback saying, what the hell? Like,. Fuck that place! Like it's so expensive for you get nothing. There's no value there. What is happening? So that was our first pivot. I was gonna say I feel a yeah. pivot coming on here. Yep. So our first pivot was, you know, people bash Yelp and all this other stuff, and you know, however it goes. But you know, you can get real user feedback from there, whether they're right or wrong. It doesn't fucking matter. You take everything with a grain of salt. But you can go back and look and go, I can see how somebody could be pissed off if I, you know, if I yeah. came in here and I wasn't really explained how to order and I ordered three things and they were all little and I spent twenty five bucks. i be like, what the fuck? You so knowing know what, mean? what you know now, would you have created a system? Uh, to explain that process to you know, each again we tried, but you know when we get into really the meat and potatoes of a restaurant, and we can talk about that a lot. And from the pivot, and this this is really this is one of them, and this was the whole point is that. We don't know the guests that are coming in here. You know, we don't know everybody. We don't know who's going to listen to the server. Who's yeah. going to so it doesn't. And you know what? Most of the time, people don't want to have a dissertation on how to order, how to yeah. eat, how to do something. And I personally don't like it. You people know, people don't
0: want to think hard when they go out to eat. They yeah. want to. They want to relax. That's right? what and, I'm saying. So they're like, "Can I get a
1: salad? And can I get the fish? Like, yeah. great. You know what I mean? And so we 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 would listen to it. Sorry. The first four or five months, we would not listen to any guest feedback. Yeah. We, were, we were the fucking know-it-alls. We knew everything. <laughs> which you was, don't know which is shit. kind of what
0: you were mentioning earlier when you first came uh-huh. here. You fell back into some of those ways of, yeah. I know everything. Exactly. Yeah.
1: And so it turned into a point saying, well, if we want to keep the doors open, we had better do something different. Because mm-hmm. this path is not working. Okay. This path is a downward slide on our sales and our execution and our food costs is going up and labor costs is going up because we don't have a lot of sales right now. Mm-hmm. And instead of... Instead of continuously trying to fight the path, we were just taking the feedback and we were making our pivots, our small pivots, our major pivots day to day. And some of them was trimming back management and some of it was trimming back. What do we have in the kitchen? What do we need? What, what do we really need in here to really execute this? And so it was, it wasn't going out saying, how can we generate more revenue? It was saying, okay, what are we doing with the revenue we're making? Mm-hmm. And I tell every new restaurant that opens up and I read this, I forget where I read this a hundred percent, but, I read this somewhere. It's uh, businesses fail because they bank on the money that they will make. They don't. They don't try to work with the money they are making, mm. and that's the real most important lesson is you can't think that the money's just gonna all of a sudden start pouring in the door. Yeah. What you need to do is if you're making a hundred dollars a week, you need to figure out how to take ten percent of that to the bottom line and that's it. If you're making ten thousand dollars a week, ten percent of the like everything should be based on those percentages and if it's not working and we're only doing let's say we're do, you know, a thirty or a forty thousand dollar a week, we have to take ten percent of that to the bottom line so that we can spend everything else into that yeah. thing.
0: But we ten percent has to go to the bank. Yeah, it's where people have this way of only like I mean you have you have Assets and you have liabilities in life, but we only focus on getting more assets. We don't pay attention to the liabilities, the things that are costing us money. Uh, There's one. I mean, you're talking about uh, maybe a different book, but is it profit first? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Uh So that book, profit first, is all about you start with what you need, take care of yourself, take the profit, and any extra cash you have, any extra assets goes to whatever is most important next, right? Uh, But making sure that you, you don't. Go
1: too big, or you, I don't know. I'm, yeah, I'm, you you try to find something that is going to give you some ROI, yeah. right? So if we buy this, this will save labor. This will go to that, and so really, and this goes into the pivot is that we we were uh we were uh how do we increase revenues first and figure out the rest later, and then we pivoted and said okay, let's figure out how to make money off the money we're making yeah. and once we do that then we'll have more money to put into marketing so you're stripping, we stripping liabilities ba- yeah exactly gotcha. instead of banking that the business mm-hmm. is going to come back and and you know every restaurant in Austin opens up in the first six months they're wildly successful because everybody wants to go check it out mm-hmm. everybody in Austin wants to be the first everybody in really any major market that you open something up they're going to go check it yeah. out you know and then sales drop off it's like the release of a new movie opening week they do 100 million the next week they do 30 million Yeah, that's how it goes right and so what you hope is that you have a quality enough product that people want to come back and see it not only once or twice or check it out, that you've done the right thing, that you've built a great space and you have quality employees that are around. Yeah. I want to make sure we, we talk
0: about the culture in the, the ability of, that you have to, I think in the first year or two years, like, I'm not sure the numbers exactly, but you had a 95% re- retainment rate.
1: It was, yeah. So in the first year that we opened, we only had lost a few people, not only back of the house, but front of the house. Um, obviously as the business kind of fell off a little bit, we lost in front of those people, you know, they're cash driven, yeah. you know, which is totally acceptable and I get it. Um, but really the culture that we built in here is what we want to do is it's a full open door policy, just like it's a full open kitchen and nothing is transparent. And we would talk about our finances with everybody openly. We talk about schedules. I really push a whole lot of, and, and the, I said this at the beginning, the mantra was respect and I have, I have a whole lot of respect for not only everybody that works in here, but at in this industry for the guests that come in here and dime and spend their money here and choose to spend it with us and and i think that really bleeds through everything and and so what we do here is we there's if you need days off or whatever just do it we'll figure it out there's no there's no there's no shaming for being off or anything like that we just we really want people to want to be here and once i really once not only me but the rest of my staff kind of took that to heart of we really want people to want to be here things just fell into place. Mm. Awesome. Uh, you, you also, uh, uh, offered full benefits, right? From day when one, we first open from we, day one, we had to peel those back. You know, we had to, we had to take those away and oh, that, that was a hard, a hard business decision. But, you know, we were, we were spending, you know, we were spending up to $10,000 a month on paying for benefits for employees. And, we didn't have the money to pay, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? It was just, we were, I was like, cool, we can offer benefits for two more months and then we close or we don't offer benefits and we stay open and we figure this out and how we do this. And yeah. this was part of, of stripping that back. And you know, it, it's a funny thing, but we thought, I thought we were going to lose a lot of employees by doing that. And we really didn't, you know what I mean? Like it was just the environment was what it was. And we were, I think everybody realized we were going out trying to do the right thing.
0: Yeah. I think if you start a situation taking everybody's best interest, putting that in the forefront, making it about everyone else when the shit does hit the fan and things do get hard, they're going to remember that, you know, they're going to remember that you were there for them and and you have to be there for somebody else before they're going to be there for you. And
1: you, and you nailed it. And that's what it was. It was always about the trust factor that we have everybody's best interest in mind at all times. And we can't take care of everybody or put any more bread on the table, if you will, if we close the doors. So we have to take this benefit away or this offering. Yeah. So when we started this
0: conversation, I, I told you we'd be wrapping up around twelve thirty. It's twelve twenty five right oh, now. Wow. Uh time goes by really fast. Yeah. I've been loving this conversation. Is there anything else you want to drop on us before we take a break uh to thank the sponsors and get into the speed round? I, I want to this is your time to like to drop anything, anything that you were hoping we were talking about, we didn't talk about, get it out now. Yeah.
1: I will just say that, you know, as as you know, as an Austin restaurateur and chef first is what I would say is that Being a chef and and being a restaurateur is still just as much about business. as creativity and understanding, you know, really the way that things work. And for me to be able to this was my other pivot is I pivoted from being really a chef first to a businessman first. And to understand the finances of what 's going on, because at the end of the day, this is a business it is a restaurant, we are creative and we like to have fun, but it is a business, and this isn 't all like playtime and you know most restaurants get opened and people are hanging out behind the bar drinking, taking shots or whatever, and you know not not really putting any care into it, but you know this is a very a very volatile business because everything all the food we buy has a shelf life it 's all dying mm-hmm. you know it 's plucked out of the ground it is dying quickly, and if we don 't Manage that properly. That's why restaurants fail at such a rapid rate because of the fact that every diner in Austin goes out to eat on Friday. You can walk into any restaurant at seven o'clock on a Friday and Saturday in Austin, and it's full. Go to see the ones that are busy on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Those are the ones that are definitely going to be in that successful rate. But but we as a as a as a community, you know what I mean, is what I, my 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 cry for all this help is that we can do this and you know I'm not worried about restaurants opening and closing and I know there's a there's a, a, a problem with maybe the market out there of not having enough you know restaurant staff or whatnot then we just have to be smarter and we have to reimagine what we're doing you know if there's not enough restaurant staff then we have to have a smaller menu if there's not enough you know this then we have to do that you know and it's, it really is a give or take and it really is about looking at it every day and it's like constant
0: pivot it's like uh-huh. a constant reaction to the market and adapting and where did you pick up that
1: mentality of pivoting where does um, that come from it, it came from, uh, Survival. Yeah. I mean, we were going to close the restaurant doors at Juniper yeah. at one point yeah. the, during our first summer that we opened. It was very stressful and scary. And I didn't think it was going to make it because we opened in October. We hit mm-hmm. July and I think Uber had left town that year. And it was it was it was very it was very heart-wrenching and to, to understand where we were going. And there was just a lot of conversations with the business partners and saying, well, can you turn it around? is it I have to and this is what we're going to do. Yeah,
0: there's this book out there by Eric Reese called The Lean Startup, which is a, a book I think everybody that's opening a restaurant needs to, to read because of the, the facts that you or the points you pointed out earlier with it's not about the assets coming in it's about managing the liabilities mm-hmm. right and staying lean and staying and keeping your expenses as low as possible and pivoting and listening to the market and adapting and giving the people what they want but also staying true to yourself there's a balance there but um great book to check out if you guys want to learn more about the pivot uh eric reese the lean startup i'll link to that in the show notes and anything else you want to mention before we take a break no Here's i think i think we're good i think right. um, i appreciate you having me on oh you've been great we're gonna take a quick break to thank the sponsors we'll be right back all right i have a question for you how can an anonymous employee reporting program be a profit center for your restaurant? Hmm. Well, for starters, fraud alone represents a staggering loss to the restaurant industry, with an estimated 40 billion in losses in the US in 2017 alone. And this does not include the losses and costs associated with the more than 540,000 calls made to the US EEOC in 2017, resulting in millions of dollars in penalties and legal costs for restaurant owners and investigators related to claims of harassment and discrimination. So do I have your attention? Good, because there's more. Employee tip-offs about misconduct continue to be the most common method for detection and prevention, but employees are often deterred from reporting their concerns directly to supervisors because they're afraid that there's going to be retaliation or they might lose their job or something, and I get it. But with Ethics Suites Anonymous and web-based RestaurantEthics.com, you can provide a safe, secure, simple, and anonymous communication channel between you and your employees to help protect your hard-earned reputation and assets. Go to EthicsSuites.com slash restaurants unstuck and you will get three additional months. So for the cost of 12 months, you'll get 15 months or head over to the show notes and find the banner and you can use the link there. If you listen to Restaurant Unstoppable, I'm sure you've heard me say it before, but I'll say it again. There are two Things that you need to let determine your growth. The first thing, that's people. The second thing, that's cash flow. And we've got you covered on the cash flow part of things because I'm working with CashflowTool.com, the ultimate cloud based solution for your business. CashflowTool.com is simple, powerful, and predictive. It's simple because it requires no data entry, it's always up to date, and it works on any device, anywhere. It's powerful because with its built-in cash flow calendar, activity feed, and anomaly detector, you instantly know all aspects of your cash flow with no surprises. And it's predictive because you know your cash flow today and you can anticipate it tomorrow. Head over to www.cashflowtool.com unstoppable and enter promotional code unstoppable at checkout and you'll receive pro features at the essential features price. We're back. And the first question I have for you is, what is your it factor, a habit a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success?
1: Ooh. Um, my it factor yeah. is probably going to have to be my, un- I don't want to let anybody down. Mm, I like it. What is your biggest challenge or your biggest weakness? My biggest weakness is not wanting to let anybody down. <laughs> <laughs> no, it really, I mean, they do go hand in hand. So it's a curse hand a blessing. It's actually funny. Uh, Aria Weinswag
0: wrote this, Like uh, he has this book, um, an anarchist or lapsed anarchist approach to building a great business. And that's one of the chapters in this book is your weaknesses. Often your, your strengths are often like they go hand in hand uh-huh. So being like really aware of those. Uh, what is one question you ask or thing you look for during the interview process when you're building that team?
1: Um, I will always ask what is their favorite restaurant that they've worked at mm-hmm. or eaten at in the past six months and why. What are you looking for? Um, I'm looking for honesty. I mean, that is the main thing that I need. You know, if somebody can come in here and be honest while they relate, while they fuck something up, while this is that, that is um that is that works a hundred percent with me on a daily basis. Honesty goes a very long way and I think it's a root and a base of, of good character. What's your biggest challenge today? Um, my biggest challenge today is how to continue to stay creative. You know, there's so much going on out there and everything. And it's, it's really trying to stay ahead of the creativity ball in all aspects, whether it's service and wine and how we present something and how we do and being creative in business. You know, I mean, there's just creativity is, um, something that you can get into a block on and that's, that's. Keeping that fresh is really challenging. How are you overcoming that challenge? Um, I try to overcome it by taking enough time out of the space or out of what I'm trying to do and trying to just relieve that. And then so when I come back into it, I can see things with fresher eyes.
0: I love it. Uh, What is one
1: code of conduct or behavior you teach your team? This is a core value, a way to be. Timeline. Everything is based on time. Everything that we do. Get here when you're supposed to be here. Put family mail up when it's supposed to be up. Be ready when you're supposed to be ready. What is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? Something that's common within your four walls, not common within the industry. Oh, man. I don't know. That's a tough one. I don't think we, I think we try to stick pretty pretty much on it. Well, really, what we preach in here is just to be nice. <laughs> you that's know what I mean? One. I don't really care how much wine knowledge you have. If you're an asshole, nobody's <laughs> going to like you, so that's fine. What's one book that's a must-read to make us a better person or restaurant owner? Oh, it's got to be setting the table. You've really referenced it three times. <laughs> yeah. but, I mean, I've read that book probably cover to cover maybe four times. And Biggest it's just, lesson was, from that book. It, it, I mean, you, you nailed it. I think it's Chapter 7, but it's, it's constant gentle pressure. Mm-hmm. And, and if you put that on yourself, your staff, and everybody else, it, it, really, it really is. That, that in the fifty one percentile of a, of a human is, is really what's important in that book.
0: What's one thing that you feel restaurateurs don't do well enough or often enough?
1: I don't think they engage with their staff on a personal level enough. I think you've really got to know people and once you know them you can better manage them better serve them. This should be a good question
0: for you Mr. Technology man. What is one piece of technology you have adopted within your four walls that has had a huge impact on operations, communication, efficiency, things of that man. Yeah,
1: we use uh we funny enough we use Slack a lot. Oh, um nice. as as a restaurant, I don't know if a lot of people use Slack, but we use Slack as a as a very strong communication tool because you know you can put it to sleep and you can get notifications and you can directly message people and it's not it's not as long lead as an email, but it's not as obtrusive as a text.
0: Mm-hmm. I just started using Slack recently uh-huh. too. I, I haven't had a need for it because it's just been me for the yeah, longest yeah. time. Uh-huh. But now I have two friends working on me or with me with on this project, and it's a game changer yeah. that, to have to have all those threads on the different topics going, so you can just quickly reference and uh, it, it just brings all that communication in exactly. one spot. It's a great tool. Uh, this is the last question. It's a doozy. Are oh, you ready yeah, for? yeah! I can't. He just <laughs> smiled at me. Y'all. you can't see it. <laughs> he just like smiled and winked just, and grinned the, and all uh, kinds of eye stuff. rolls. Okay. Yeah, when I ask this all question, right. if you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom you can leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy. What would those three truths be? The, the things you know to be true. What would you leave them behind? Be respectful.
1: Oh, man, you got to get three out of yeah, it <laughs> just why right I, off the bat. That's why I smile. Uh, yeah, so so it's definitely a respect thing. We already had talked about that. Yeah, just being respectful. I think that that we had we had said to never step over you know a penny to get to the dollar. You know what I mean. Always make sure that you're 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 watching those things. Um, man, the third one is just going to escape me for a second. So you have to get be respectful. Yeah. Uh, pay attention to the pennies. Yeah, and and. Have a beer, enjoy like, yourself, you know, <laughs> yourself. You know there's it. life is not long, like you said, I could be ripped <laughs> off the planet right now, but you know, enjoy yourself, that awesome. really is make it, make it fun
0: great this has been an awesome conversation we wrap up every conversation by calling somebody else so who's one person that you respect and admire in Austin and believe would make a great guest mentor like you made for us today
1: I think you need to talk to Sean Sirkill I don't know if you've talked to him yet he's on my list he needs to be because I've never personally worked with him but I've talked with him a lot and he is very he's 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 somebody like that has really put Austin on the map and continues to still open restaurants and be successful yeah. and and he doesn't get really talked about a lot but I think I think he's a he's, I mean, he's very successful. He's an awesome dude. I got the chefs, Sarah and Chef Nathan over at uh, Horn uh, and Domestic, uh-huh. working on that one for yeah, me. Okay, uh, so Sean, I'm gonna, I'll text him right now. <laughs> Sean, you heard I'm yeah. coming at you
0: at all ankles. I'd love to get you on the show, man. You'd be great. And let the folks at home know if we want to follow you, what you're doing, maybe come and join your team. What's the best way to connect?
1: Um, you can just you know, you can stop by. We're on Instagram, you know, Juniper Austin. You can email us at info at Juniper Austin. I mean, we're, we're around, you know, we, we try not to be hard to find. Chef Nick
0: Giannis, thank you so
1: much for taking the time to share your story, your knowledge, your mentorship. There is no questioning,
0: my man. You are unstoppable. All right. There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Tons of great nuggets to draw from today's conversation. I think the first one was... Nick's advice to remove yourself from negative situations or situations when you're, where you're where you're in a funk and you can't quite get ahead and you're kind of just stuck in the mud. You know, get up and. Go someplace where uh, you can surround yourself with people who are going to lift you up, where you're going to create opportunity for yourself. And that's sometimes the best way to, to get your your life moving in, in the right direction. I also love this advice of managing managers and being proactive and anticipating their needs and doing so good at it where you're no longer being managed by them, but you're, you're managing them. Uh, and wow when you live like that when you're proactive like that when you live to serve the people above you uh watch how fast the doors open also i really loved nick's advice on the pivot on adapting on staying lean and in picking the right direction as it reveals itself to you and it's not easy to do, but that subtle art of the pivot and of really just, like he says, managing like the liabilities and not necessarily managing the cash flow and trying to make more money, but paying attention to the money going out, right? Not the money coming in. If you have that mentality, uh, it can be super, super powerful. Awesome stuff today. So like always, I have to remind you, keep those five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio coming. They help so much. Uh, keep the emails coming. Email me, eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. Tell me who you want to hear from. Tell me how I can best serve you. Also, make sure you sign up for the email list. Uh, once a week, I send out uh, the previous week's episodes, and I also share what's going on in my head, like where I'm at, what I'm thinking about with the future, uh, laying out that vision, reflecting on the conversations I've had, highlighting key uh, recommendations during that previous week, it's really worth signing up to that email list. So get out there and do it now. But the best way to uh, be a part of this community and to spread the word about this mission of inspiring, empowering, and transforming the industry is by sharing this podcast with anybody and everyone you know. If you found value in today's conversation, let's get the word out there. Let's make sure other people know this resource exists. All right, that's it for today. Thank you so much for sticking around this long. Until next time, peace out.